Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Numbers chapter 3, substitution in service. Let's take a look at the verse, first four verses. Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, or Eleazar, <laughs> uh, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So we know, and we, we, you know, we taught through the book of Exodus not too terribly long ago. We know the story of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, uh, Nadab was the firstborn of Aaron's sons. And so being the firstborn, he would have been in line to be the next high priest after Aaron had passed away. Well, we know from Exodus chapter 10, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 10, not Exodus, Leviticus chapter 10, that uh, Nadab and Abihu were killed before the Lord. And we know from chapter 10 in Leviticus, it says that each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And that's kind of all that it says. And we go, well, well, what does that mean, profane? Well, the word profane actually means common. So, but what does that mean, profane fire? Well, we get a few hints, I think, in Leviticus chapter 10. In a few verses later, the Lord is speaking to Aaron and Moses, and he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So whatever they did, it did not glorify the Lord. It was an unholy thing that they did. It wasn't a holy thing that they did. And then we get even more hints further on in verses 8 of Leviticus chapter 10. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It should be a statue forever throughout your generations. This has happened right after Nadab and Abihu died. So it can lead to believe that maybe, and I'm, I'm, we, we don't know because scripture doesn't tell us, maybe they were intoxicated when they went in to minister and they, you know, they just... They grabbed any fire, basically, from maybe from a campfire or whatever, and they went in there. They, you know, they were intoxicated, and in any ways, they profaned the sacrifice of the Lord, and so the Lord killed them. And so now there's two sons remaining, Eleazar and Ithamar. They're the last surviving sons, and Eleazar would have been the next in line. He's the third youngest or third oldest, however you want to look at it, and so he would be the next high priest after Aaron. So Nadab and Abihu, and it's particularly Nadab being the firstborn, they had the great honor, the greatest honor actually to serve the Lord as priests there in the tabernacle. But because of their sin, they were disqualified. And so as a result of being disqualified, they were replaced. And so Eleazar and Ithamar became the substitute for Nadab and Abihu. That's the first substitution that we see here in chapter 3. Now, there's another 
account. In fact, there's probably more than just one. There's several accounts, I believe, in the Bible of people who were chosen for a specific purpose to glorify God. And through something going on in their lives, they sinned, they disobeyed the Lord, they rebelled against the Lord, they failed to keep his commandments, and so they became disqualified. And as a result, the Lord would raise up a substitution for them. There's one incident that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and that's the story of King Saul, the first king of, of Israel. We're told in 1 Samuel 13 that the Philistines, which were the enemies of Israel, they had gathered uh, and they had gathered around Israel preparing to attack Israel. In fact, we're told that there were 30,000 chariots, that's quite a few, six hun- uh, excuse me, 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So there's a vast army coming against Israel. And so we're, we're told in that chapter that the men, the warriors that were around Saul, some of them went into hiding. Some of them actually even deserted their posts and they, they took off. And so Samuel, or excuse me, Saul is there, the king over Israel. He was told by Samuel to wait seven days. Samuel was going to come and offer burnt offerings and sacrifices and then in a sense bless the children of Israel as they go into battle against Philistines. Well, seven days rolls around and and Saul's like, he's not here, he's not here, I don't see him coming. And so Saul took it upon himself as king to offer the sacrifices of the priest, which was not supposed to happen. And so Saul actually offered to burn offerings and sacrifices. And the funny, well, not the funny, the tragic thing is the moment he got done, Samuel showed up. And Samuel's like, what have you done? And of course, Saul, just like any of us, would try to excuse ourselves and Saul excused himself but this is what Samuel told Saul he says you have done foolishly you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That's another example of a substitution that took place. Just like Nadab and Abihu had disobeyed the Lord, they became disqualified. And now the Lord is making Eleazar and Ithamar, their younger brothers, the substitute for them. We get to verse 5 in uh, Numbers chapter 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So the Levites, that's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses and Aaron are descended from the tribe of Levi. 
And you see there in verse 6, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, bring the tribe of Levi near. That word near, it's, it, it, in the Hebrew, it has a sacrificial connotation. In other words, it means to present them as an offering to God. So the entire tribe of the Levites were set apart for the Lord. Now Aaron's sons, and Aaron, of course, at this point Aaron's still alive, but Aaron and his sons were to be the priesthood among the Levites. The rest of the Levites, they're still set apart for the Lord, but their purpose or their duties was to serve the various capacities related to the things, all the things about the tabernacle and the holiness and the holy things, you know, the maintaining things. They were also to support the work of the priests. Now we get to verse 11 through 13, and that describes yet another substitution. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord." The 12 tribes of Israel, the entire nation of Israel was the Lord's firstborn. That was God's first purpose for Israel. In fact, back in Exodus chapter 4, before Moses even goes to Pharaoh, God tells him, says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So Israel was God's firstborn. The children of Israel, they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. You guys know the story. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. It's, you know, it's, it gives you an idea anyways. Fun to watch. But you guys know the story. Most people know the story about the children of Israel being redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Well, redemption, the word redemption means to release by paying a ransom. The children of Israel were bought and paid for by the Lord God himself. They were his possession. So when the Lord redeemed the children of Israel, he gave them this command. It's recorded in Exodus 13, verse 2. He says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So all the firstborn of the children of Israel were to be dedicated to the Lord. But then there's that incident that occurred in the wilderness. When the children of Israel, under Aaron's, or not his guidance, but Aaron allowed it to happen, they made a golden calf. And they worshipped the golden calf instead of the Lord. And when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, it was the tribe of Levi, his own brethren, that separated themselves from the other tribes that were worshipping the golden calf. And they separated themselves to the Lord, and they came and they stood by Moses' side. And I think it was at that time that the tribe of Levi became a substitute for the firstborn of all the tribes of Israel because of their sin. You know what's interesting about that whole term about the firstborn? You know that the church, which is you and I here this morning, those of you that are watching online, the church is called the firstborn. We're called the church of the firstborn in Hebrews 12, 23. We were redeemed. What were we redeemed with? Well, Peter tells us with the precious blood of Christ. And so you and I, we've been bought, we've been ransomed, 
And so we belong to the Lord. He's the one that purchased us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, back in chapter 1, we looked at chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Numbers last week. There was a census that God, God commanded the children of Israel or Moses and Aaron to take a census of all the tribes of Israel except the tribe of Levi. They were not included. And so they counted all the males that were 20 years old and above, and that became Israel's army. But again, Levi wasn't counted. But here now, God is going to have them count the tribe of of Levi. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, the num Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. These were the sons of Levi that by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their families, Molly and Mushi. How'd you like to have that name, Mushi? <laughs> I'd rather have Molly than Mushi, but you know, Molly's a pretty name. Um, these are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. From Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of all males from a month old and above. Of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. So the tribe of Levi, they're all the same. They're all descended from Levi, one of the sons of Jacob. But they're divided into three groups based on the sons of Levi, the three sons of Levi. And we're told about the first group or the first family of the Levites that descended from Gershom. And so when they counted their, their infants from a month old and above, the males, they had 7,500 of them. Verse 23. The families of the Gershonites were to camp between, or excuse me, camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Eliasav, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershon, the tabernacle of meeting, included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, tabernacle excuse me, and the altar, and their cords, according to the, all the work related to them. So those families of Levites that descended from Gershom, they were told to command, uh, camp on the west side of the tabernacle. Now, if you recall from last week, the tribes of Israel were split up into four tribes under four different main tribes. And so the tribe here of Gershom, or the, the, the families of Gershom, were to camp on the west side of the tabernacle. So they would have been next to Ephraim all the, the tribes that were aligned with Ephraim on the west side. Their leader, we're told, was a guy by the name of Eliasaph. Their duties, 
they were in charge of, and then when it was time to move the camp, they had to tear down the camp, uh, tear down the tabernacle and everything. Their job was to carry the various coverings of the tabernacle, the veil and all the other hangings. We're going to look at that in a few moments in detail in chapter 4. We won't get to that right now. But verse 27, from Kohath, that's another son, from Kohath came the family of the Amramites, and the family of the Izharites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. So now we have this next group of, of Levites descended from Kohath, and their males, a month old and above, was 8,600. Verse 29, the families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And the leader of the fa father's house of the families of the Kohathites was Eliasaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered the screen and all the work related to them. So we have this next tribe or this next, I keep saying tribe, but a family of the Levites descended from Kohath. They were to camp on the west side of the tabernacle. Again, that would have been next to the tribes of, that were aligned under Reuben or next to Reuben. Their leader, we're told, is a guy by the name of Eliasaphan. Their duties, they were in charge of, and when it was time to break up the camp, they were in charge of carrying the ark, which would have been the ark of the covenant, all the altars, uh, all the furniture, the, the things that were inside the tabernacle. Again, we're going to look at that in detail. Moses and Aaron uh, descended from Kohath, and Eleazar will become the high priest after Aaron, and they oversaw all the leaders. Verse 33. Actually, let me read verse 32. I don't think I read that. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, was uh, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight over those who kept charge of the sanctuary. Verse 33. From, from Merari came the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. And those who were numbered according to the number of all males from a month old and above were 6,200. So now we have uh, 2,600, excuse me. I'm not dyslexic, but I read it that backwards. So 2,600 males a month old and above of the families of Merari. Verse 35, the, the leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihel. These were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari including, included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, all the work related to them, and the pillars of the court all around with their sockets, uh, their pegs, and their cords. So we have this next or this last family uh, group of Levites descended from Merari, uh, 2,600 males a month old and above they were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle if you recall from last week that would have been next to dan and the tribes that were aligned with dan their leader is a guy by the name of zuriel their duties when it was time to tear down the camp and set it up and when they were traveling it was to carry the structure of the 
of the of the tabernacle, the superstructure. In other words, the boards, the supporting things, the, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, all those things. And again, we'll look at those in detail in chapter 4. Verse 38, moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting were Moses, Aaron and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. So we have these tribes broken up by families. One's on the north side, one's on the uh, uh, south side, one's on the west side. And then the Lord told Moses and Aaron and uh, Eleazar and Ithamar, of course, their families, to camp on the east side, which would have been next to Judah. Uh, we've got a graphic, and it's a little modification of the one that we saw last week. There should be one in your slideshow, too, if you want to show them. Um, there's a graphic, and hopefully you see it online, too. And uh, if you were here last week, or if you were watching online last week, this might be look familiar. It's got a little bit of modifications to it. But you can see the tribes or the families of Levi, where they were positioned around the tabernacle. And uh, by the way, if you were not here last week and you're looking at it going, well, why does he have a cross up there? Um, listen to the sermon last week catch it online, whatever, dig into it. Um, that's actually the way the children of Israel camped in the wilderness. That's what it looked like. Um, verse 39. All who were numbered of the Levites among Moses and Aaron, numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above were 22,000. So we have 22,000 males a month old and above of, all, of the family of the entire tribe of the Levites. Verse 40, then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names and you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord instead of the all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. All the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and above of those who were numbered of them were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. In the currency, take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So we have a number. We have the count of the firstborn males a month old and above of the Levites, and that's 22,000 males. And then we have a number of the firstborn males of all the other tribes, and we have 22,273. There's quite, quite a close match. 
and yet there was 273 more firstborn males of the tribes than of the Levites. And since there was not enough Levites, remember, a redemption uh, is a life for a life, basically. That's the principle of redemption. Uh, so because there weren't enough Levites to, to balance out, there was a redemption price of money that was set for the 273 that were over and above. And it was five shekels per person. And they were to give that money to Aaron and to his sons. And you might say, well, why money? If redemption, if the purpose of redemption or principle is a life for life, why money? Well, think about it. You and I know this real well, right? We spend a great deal of our lives earning money. We use it to support uh, our families. We use it to buy food, to buy shelter, clothing, maybe to save. You know, money is a big part of our lives even to this day. Money is close to our heart. But Jesus said this in Luke 12, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the value that you put on money, the value that I put on money, the way that you and I accumulate money, how you and I spend money, it says a lot about where our heart is, what our priorities are, who we are, what we're all about. It tells a lot about us. And so it's the next closest thing to our hearts and to our lives, basically, I would say, would be our money. It's funny because that's, it's true, you know, we're usually, I, I heard someone say this a long time ago, the last thing to get saved on a person is their pocketbook. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I think you guys know what I mean. So chapter three, we dealt with some substitutions that took place. Eleazar and Ithamar in place of Nadab and Abihu the tribe of Levi instead of all the other tribes of Israel, and then the firstborn or the males, uh, the, the, the males of the firstborn of Le the Levites and their animals even in place of the firstborn of the children of Israel. That's the substitution portion of this message. And I'm, hopefully I'm going to tie it all together at the end. But now we're going to look at the service aspect we're going to go into detail on what the Levites were to do there in chapter 4. You know what's interesting about chapter 4? The word service is mentioned 21 times. It's significant, the service that they did. And for me, as I'm going through this, looking at this, I go, you know, how does that apply to us? Because, you know, we don't have a tabernacle, you know, a tent out in the parking lot or anything. Like that. How does that apply to you and I? Well, I think there's a correlation to ministry in the church that ties in with this. And, and I'm going to bring out some, hopefully some illustrations and applications that, that, that kind of point to that. So let's get into chapter 4, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting, related to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his son shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and, the co and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. 
On the tabernacle of showbread, they shall spread a blue cloth and put on it the dishes, the pans, the bowls, the pitchers for pouring, and the showbread shall be on it. They shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. And they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the, of the light with its lamps, its wick, trimmers, its trays, and all its oil vessels with which they service it. Then they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam. Verse 11, over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with a cover of badger skins, and put them also on a carrying beam. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall put it on all its they shall put on it all its implements with which they minister there the firepans the forks the shovels the basins and all the utensils of the altar and they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Koath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Koath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, is the oil for the light the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, and the oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and task but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. God, the, the, the holy place and the holy of holy places was where God dwelled. It's holy. And so the only people that could go in there would be the high priest himself into the holy of holies and into the holy place, both you know the high priest and the other priests, the descendants of Aaron. The other Levites couldn't go in there because it's holy. They were not ceremonially cleansed. They were not of uh, descended from Aaron. So they couldn't go in. So when it was time to break up the camp, Aaron and his sons would go in. They would cover over all the holy stuff. They would put all the covers on it, get the badger skins on it, get it all ready. And then the rest of the Levites would start carrying, or the Kohathites anyways, would start carrying these things to where they would go on their journey to their next camping spot. And we're told in this portion that we read that Eleazar, um, he's, he oversaw all the Levites on their tasks. And we're told what he's responsible for. He's got a job too. He's responsible for the oil of the lampstand. I don't know about you, but whenever I read about the oil, I always think about what the Bible typically pictures oil as, as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he's, so he's responsible for the oil of the lampstand. He's also responsible for the incense and we know in the Bible that the incense is a picture of prayer before the Lord and then the grain offerings. In other words, what Eleazar was responsible for was the spiritual aspect of the worship of God. 
You know, that kind of reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 6. You guys probably know the story. The church is the new church. I mean, it's growing and expanding. And the apostles, they're doing all the work of the ministry, but the church is growing so large that there's some people that are getting left out. And they're starting to grumble and complain. The, the apostles are spread too thin. And so they tell the people, the church there, they say, hey, pray and select among you men of good report, filled with the Holy Spirit, that they can come alongside us and they can do that, that aspect of the work of the ministry and we can devote ourselves to the word of the Lord and prayer. I, I see that in a picture right in here where Eleazar is responsible for the spiritual aspects of the worship. Then these other Levites that come alongside and help him out. Doing that would free up Eleazar to focus on the actual articles of worship. And I think that's the same thing that takes place in a church. I think typically the, what I would correlate this to is the ministry of elders and deacons within a church. They come alongside the pastor. The pastor's seeking the Lord, seeking the vision for the church. And the elders and the, and the deacons, they come alongside and support the pastor and help him so that, it, so that he's not spread too thin. The interesting thing as we're reading through this, and maybe you thought about that, why is just about everything covered with badger skins? What's the deal with that? What, what's so big about badger skins? Well, I think for one thing, it's got a very practical application. And the practical application I see is it's very durable, and also it protects all those holy things from the elements. It's protective. It's probably waterproof, I'm, assu I'm assuming. But if you think about it, that's kind of plain looking. I mean, here you're watching, maybe you're a, 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 you know, some Canaanite or something, and you're watching the children of Israel going through the wilderness, and you see them carrying these poles and all the stuff covered with the badger skins, and you go, I wonder, what's, what's, what's the deal with that? What's behind that? They have no clue, because it just looks plain to them. I think it's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, actually. Because as we went through Leviticus, as we went through Exodus, the tabernacle is actually a picture of Jesus. Even the articles, everything that has to do with the tabernacle, you can see Jesus throughout it. And on the outside, as a man, Jesus looked plain. You know, the, 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 the uh, uh, Renaissance painters, they have these pictures of Jesus. You can always, you always can pick him out in the crowd, right? He's the most fairest looking guy, you know. There's usually kind of a, a hue about him, a glow and everything. Jesus looked like every other guy that was alive at that time. There was nothing physically that would stand him out of the ground. Hey, he looks like a Messiah. There was nothing. He looked like every other person. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. And yet... He's God manifested in the flesh. Beautiful, glorious on the inside. You know, you and I, we look like every other person. You, you go out on the street and we don't look any different than the, than the average person walking up and down the street that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. We might dress maybe a little bit differently, somewhat. But, you know, when you look at we don't look any different. We don't talk any different. I mean, as far as language or anything, hopefully... You know what I mean. I've, we should, there should be a difference, but generally speaking, we don't look any different than anybody else. And yet you and I, what does Paul says? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in each one of us. You know, on the outside, we look like just every other person. Our church building, 
this building, this physical building. It's not covered in badger skins. It's covered in Menards green. <laughs> Seriously, if you've ever seen our church, it's Menards green. Why do I say Menards green? Because Sister Chriselle, who we bought this church from, told me that Menards donated the paint to paint this place. And Menards, that's their color, man. They like green. So, you know, they're, they're probably Packer fans, I'm guessing. But anyways, I'm sure they are because it's out of Wisconsin. Uh, so, you know, you look at our church building, Man, it has no former comeliness. <laughs> you look at it, in fact, a lot of people driving by, they have no clue that it's a church. It doesn't look like a church. I mean, it's got a sign, but we don't have a steeple. You know, it just it, from the outside, it looks plain. They don't realize the value of what's inside. And I'm not saying we've got a beautiful place. I think we have a beautiful sanctuary. But they don't realize the value. They look at it, it's just like any other building. You know what's going on right now with COVID? COVID-19, many governors of many states, they do not see the value of churches. We're just like any other public gathering. And so they have restrictions and everything that they put on public gatherings. They don't appreciate the value of what churches bring to the community. I was reading something about all the uh, 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 suicides that are taking place in, in, in our nation. So there's a lot of stuff going on that people don't underestimate, or people do underestimate the beauty. And I'm not talking about the beauty of the building itself, but the glory of what takes place here. This is a place for people to be healed, people to be uh, restored in their relationship to the Lord. We have value, but to the outside, we don't. Well, let's move on here. Uh, look at the Gershonites and what they were to do. Verse 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, by their families, from 30 years old up and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of meeting with its covering, the covering of badger skins that is on it, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate of the court, the hangings of the court, which are all around the tabernacle and altar and their cords, all the furnishings for their service and all that is made for these things, so, you shall, so shall they serve. Aaron and his son shall assign all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks and all their service, and you shall appoint to them all their tasks is their duty. This is the duty of the families of the Gershonites in the tabernacle of meeting, and their duties shall be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So now we have in detail what the Gershonites, the, the descendants of Gershon were to do. They were to carry basically all the outer coverings of the, of the tabernacle. You know, there was, there was curtains all the way around the, the, the whole property of the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself, the various coverings, the screens, everything that you would see from the outside. And, and the way I look at that, what their job was, they were responsible for the kind of the outward ministry, the things that people see when they walk into a church or they walk into, you know, they, they walk by, they see the tabernacle. And, and, and I see a correlation to like visible ministries that take place in a church. When I think of a visible ministry, I think of a worship band. 
You know, they're up front. They're visible. When you walk in, you see a worship band. You see people in the back running sound and, and audio visual. You see someone running the cameras. You, you, you see, you, you, hopefully the first thing you meet is a greeter at the door. You, you see them. They're, they're up front. That, when you walk into the church, that's the impression. You see people and you, you, know, you see what I'm doing. So it's a very visible outer ministry. Children's ministry teachers. You know, they come in and they meet the nursery workers or the people that are teaching children's ministry, all those helpers. Those are visible ministries. And so I, I see a correlation with that. But then let's look at the sons of Merari, verse 29. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families and by their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, all the pillars around the court with their sockets, pegs and courts, with, uh, cords, excuse me, with all their furnishings and all their service. And you shall assign to each man by name the items he must carry. This is the service of the family of the sons of Merari as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So the service of the sons of Merari. They were to carry the physical, structural support of the tabernacle. Those are the things when you walked in, you wouldn't see that because it was covered with coverings. It's the things that were not visible in the tabernacle, the things that are less visible. They were under the coverings, and yet, man, they're just as vital as the coverings. They're just as important. And I think of that as ministry. I see a correlation to ministry that's, it's not up front and in your face. It's not a worship band. It's not, it's not the people in the back or the greeters. It's the people that come alongside that clean the bathrooms before church. They clean the bathrooms probably after church too. They're the ones that, that uh, arrange flowers in the sanctuary. You never know. It's like all of a sudden there's different flowers. You go, well, I wonder, wow, that looks different. You don't think of, well, I wonder who did that. The people that take care of the garden, the people that mow the grass or take care of the building, the people that organize things. We've had things organized here in our church that you wouldn't even have a clue unless you knew what it was before it got organized. The things that are repaired, all, all these things that are behind the scenes. I see that. You know, the people that take the tithes and the offerings and, and our whole crew of bookkeepers. Well, we have one person, their bookkeeper, her husband helps. Uh, you know, those things, they're not up front. They're not visible, and yet they're just as important. They're just as vital as any other ministry. In fact, without them, think what the priests would have to do. All the work that they'd have to do if they were spread so thin, ministry would literally suffer. And I think, when I, again, I, I'm correlating that to ministry within a church, but I, I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Beginning with verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our, on our un, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that one, excuse me, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Now, there's something here that I want to point out. Can you imagine if your ministry, you come to a church like our church or any other church, and you get involved in ministry, and that's the only thing you ever do? You never get advanced. You never get promoted. You're just on the worship team. You're never, they never say, hey, we want you to be the worship leader. You're just, you're just there always doing that. Can you imagine? See, the children of Israel, the, the Levites, they were assigned from birth, basically, what their job would be, and it never changed. They were doing this for 40 years, and it never changed. 40 years. We had a, we, we had a, a point once when uh, we were, uh, we had an elder that left the church, or not left like in a bad thing, but he moved away, and so we had to appoint another elder, and, and, uh, and so um, the elders and I, we got together, this was a long time ago, and, and prayed, and you know, I really felt that there's one person that wanted to raise up as an elder, we talked to him, and there was another person that had been here from, kind of from the beginning, they were actually offended that I didn't ask them, because it's like, man, I put in my time, I deserve it. Can you imagine the Levite doing that? Hey, man, I've been carrying tent pegs. Man, I deserve to carry the ark, man. I've been, man, give me something more visible. Oh, that was their ministry their entire life. A tent peg carrier, that was his job, to carry the tent pegs. But I want to encourage those that are tent peg carriers in ministry. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, you're a tent peg carrier. You're one of the sons of Merari, and that's your job, man. You carry the tent pegs. You know, they were the ones that maybe kept the outer, the badger skin coverings from blowing off and stuff. But think about it. You're carrying it for the house of the Lord. You're carrying it for the tabernacle. Can you imagine the attitude? Man, I am going to faithfully carry those tent pegs. That's, I'm going I'm to be as faithful as possible. They're, they can count on me. Not only that, but I'm going to be the best tent peg carrier I can possibly be. 
I'm going to learn what's the best way to carry tent pegs. I'm going to I'm going to try to get I'm going to get better at my ministry. I want to because I want to give God the glory. I'm going to be the best tent peg carrier for the rest of my life. Can you imagine that? It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? We have this this feeling that, you know, we, we get into something and it's like, okay, I'm here long enough. I should be getting moved up. And in this case, that's that didn't happen with them. Nothing you'll notice of all these things, it wasn't like God said, well, somebody's got to carry the tent pegs, you know, and it's like, okay, we're looking for somebody that doesn't have anything to do. Everything was laid out. Everything had a, everyone had a purpose. Nothing was left to chance or improvisation. And I want to bring up a, no, a few more things about the Levites. You'll recall that the Levites were numbered from a month old and up. And so think about it. From a very young age, they're being taught, they're being raised up to understand. You know, I think of that in ministry too, like in a church, for example. I think it's awesome when people get their kids involved in ministry. And, and, or, you know, we've had people that have served in ministry and their kids, they, they're never there. They're never part of it. And it's like, man, you're missing out because it's so important for children to experience that. We had uh, uh, people that were uh, before, the, before this, uh, the pandemic, we had a couple that were cleaning the bathrooms on a regular basis. And uh, one of the things that they told me, that, that's all they, they wanted to do. They just they wanted to clean the bathrooms. And he said, you know what? In the Calvary Chapel that I attended in California, my parents... Every week they volunteered. They went to church and they cleaned the bathrooms and they would drag us kids along. I'm used to it. So I want to do it here. Of course, they probably had 50 bathrooms, you know, in big, these, some of these big churches. We have three bathrooms. Um, actually, we have two in the basement. Please don't use them. We got the water shut off. <laughs> but, but seriously, it's like, you know, uh, uh, they're like, they were he was raised up. And it's like, man, I just, I just want to do it. What a good example. I, I love it when, when they shared that with me. I thought it was kind of cool. So these Levites, from a young age, they're being taught, hey, you have a plan and a purpose. God has a purpose for you, and we can do that with our children too. Then, and we won't get to it today, but in Numbers chapter 8, we find out at age 25, they enter into kind of an apprenticeship program, so to speak. And it lasts until age 30. And then at age 30, that's when they go into, that's when they're it. They're, they're the tent peg carrier. They do it. And they'd be like the journeymen. And they do it until age 50. So they do it for 20 years. 20 years. At age 50, they don't retire. They don't have a retirement plan. They don't stop ministering. But they don't do the same work that they did before. What, what they do, basically, I think, they're, they're more of in a teaching role. Hey, let me show you the best way to carry a tent peg. Let me show you what not to do and, you know, maybe how to do this. There's, a, there's maybe a, an easier way to do this. Whatever, you know, they, they, they're there to teach and instill and impart their knowledge and wisdom to the younger people. One more thing I want to, actually, there's more than one more thing, a couple more things I want to bring out. And that was the leaders of the Levites, so these families, because we're told what their names were. And I don't know if you caught it. I tried to pronounce it that way, um, but I don't know if you caught it, but all of their names have L, E-L in it. E-L is the name for God. It's the, word, it's the Hebrew word for God. All of them have God in their names, and they're the leaders of these different families, the Levites. And I think that's interesting, because Gershom, the leader was el Yasaf, and the, word me the name means God has added. Think about that. In ministry, any success, 
any blessings in our service, any, anything that comes, it's like, God, you're the one that did it. We don't take any glory in it. It's all from you, Lord. It all goes to you. We can't take any glory. God's the one that's added. If this church grows and expands and all kinds of ministry, it's not because of me. It's because the Lord's done it. God's raised up. God's the one that's blessed it. The leader of Kohath, the family of the Kohath, was El Isafan. His name means God of treasure. You think about that in ministry. What's your purpose for serving? Is it for serving because you want recognition? Is it serving because, you know, maybe you feel obligated? Uh, you know, what's your purpose? God is my treasure. See, the purpose for you and I to serve is because of what God's done. Man, I love the Lord. He purchased me. He bought and saved me. I want to do whatever I can to serve him and to bless him. We do everything as unto the Lord. The leader of Merari's family was Zuriel. That name is, means my rock is God. Ministry can be tough sometimes. But God's our fortress. God's our hiding place. When difficulties arrive, man, we take refuge in God, our rock. And then finally, we have the leader over the priests and overall the leader of the Levites. He'll be the next high priest, Eleazar. Eleazar. His name means God has helped. And that's such an important thing in ministry, too. We don't do anything on our own strength, but in the strength that God provides through his Holy Spirit. The one thing I didn't mention, I'll just bring up here, is Ithamar. His name doesn't start with an L, but the rest of them did. But Ithamar, you'll notice that he's, he's the youngest of the sons of Aaron, and he's kind of got an overall, like an overviewing responsibility over two different families. And you go, man, that's like, that's a lot of work. He's responsible. He's got like double the work. Why? If you recall, there were four priests, Nathan, uh, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. But because two of the priests aren't there for whatever reason, and we know for this reason they were disqualified, but for whatever reason, Ithamar, there's ministry still has to take place. So there's double do there's just there's double work to be done. It didn't it wasn't supposed to be that way, but that's the way it is. You know, I think about uh, and uh, you know this is kind of a small example, but I I look at our our church. You know, before the pandemic, before the shutdown, uh, we had people involved in a lot of different ministries and involved in everything. It was, it was going really well, I thought. And then we had this pandemic and then we were shut down for a while. And so for a while there's like, there's no really, there's no ministry. There was just a skeleton crew of us that came in and we were running the, you know, the, the, the live stream and stuff. And so, you know, yeah, we didn't clean the bathrooms, no big deal. You know, we're just a few of us are here and stuff. Now that we're back open again, those things, they still need to be done. But guess what? Those, a lot of the people aren't here to do it. So guess who does it? Everybody else that's left here. We're double, you know, a lot of us are doing double work, triple work, you name it. And I'm not complaining. I'm not, I mean, it's a, it's a joy to do what we're doing. But it's a reality that takes place. So we talked about substitution. They were redeemed. The Levites took their place. The ministry of the Levites, the service, and it was service that they were doing. But there's one more substitution that I want to mention this morning. And the reason why I want to mention it, it's not in Numbers chapter uh, uh, 3 and 4. But this morning we're celebrating communion. 
We do that once a month, first Sunday of the month. And if you think about it, Jesus Christ was substituted for you and I because we deserved to die. We deserved eternal punishment. But Jesus Christ became our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who, known, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'll have the worship team come on up here if you want. Make your way up here. Jesus Christ was substituted for us. You see, we are all disqualified. In fact, if you guys want to go to the ABC slides, we're all disqualified. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been disqualified because of sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ was our substitute. The eternal life, in, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He became our substitute. This morning as we celebrate communion, and for those of you that are joining us online, you're not, maybe you're not celebrating communion with us, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, I urge you, I urge you to become a member of the family of God, a member of the, of the church, the church of the firstborn. Well, how do you do that? Well, you admit that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you're disqualified, that you've sinned against a holy God. And then believe that Jesus Christ is your substitute, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, let me read to you Romans 10, verse 8 and 9. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So believing that he died on the cross for us, believing that he's your and my substitute, and then finally see calling on the name of the Lord, praying to him. You see, the Bible says, with our heart, one believes unto righteousness, Romans 10, 10. With our mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus is your substitute, and then calling out to him, praying to him, saying, Lord, please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross in my place and that you rose again from the dead. Come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. The Bible says if you do that, you're going to be saved. That's it. I want to pray with those of you that are here this morning. We're going to be celebrating communion and once the worship team starts leading us in worship, I encourage those of you that are here in the sanctuary, come forward. Well, actually, you don't have to come forward. I forgot. We don't have a table here. Hopefully, you've got a communion element with you. You grabbed one when you came. If you're not, uh, if you want to go ahead and grab one now, that'd be great, or, you know, after we pray, of course. Um, and, uh, or if you need one brought to you, just raise your hand. We'll bring you one. But all right, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is here this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is watching this live stream this morning. Uh, Lord, or maybe they're watching it after it's live. It's been recorded already. Lord, I thank you for each and every person. Lord, for those that are believers, 
those that are part of a church. Maybe they're not even a part of this church. They're part of another church and they're just watching our live stream. Lord, I pray that whatever church that they are associated with or tied into, Lord, I pray that they would seek to minister in the gifts that you have given them in that church, whatever church it might be. And that, Lord God, I know because of the pandemic, there's things that are preventing uh, people from coming in. Lord, we understand that. And, and Lord, I pray that this is temporary. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would never be to neglect those things that you have called each one of us to do. And that, Lord, maybe you've called us to be a tent peg carrier the rest of our lives. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe you've called us to be a bathroom cleaner for the rest of our ministry, Lord. I pray that we'd be the best bathroom cleaner. Lord, that we would glorify you in that. That we'd do the best job we could and be joyful in it because we get to serve you no matter what. And Lord, as your word said, there's nothing that's unimportant. And so I thank you, Lord, just for the, that, that you allow us failed human beings. Lord, you allow us to minister to you and to others around you in your name. Lord, what a, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's a gift that we've been given, Lord. I pray that none of us would take that for granted. Lord, we thank you for being our substitute, for dying on the cross for our sins, for living that perfect life that we could not live, and that, Lord, you, you substituted your holy life. Lord, you've given us your holiness, your righteousness because of your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you rose again from the dead. And Lord, we ask that you would fill our hearts afresh this morning. We love you and bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.